coming out isn't about letting people know because a lot of people do know and it doesn't really matter whether they know or not but I think for me coming out is about finally having the courage to say those words out loud to yourself. Hello and welcome to another episode of I'm Coming Out, the podcast where people tell me, Johnny Harvey, their coming out stories. And this week's guest is Spencer Cooper. Spencer is only 22 years old, but is definitely an old head on young shoulders. He has a wisdom and insight far beyond his years, as you're about to hear in this interview. I came across him when I started listening to his podcast, Queer Talk, a while back, which he hosts with his two friends, James and Mufsin. It focuses on the more positive news happening within the LGBTQ community, which is definitely a welcome relief from all the negativity we usually hear relating to our community and the wider world, of course. His blog, For the Love of Queers, is a great resource for queer history and activism, and I've certainly learnt a whole lot myself since I started following it. The interview was recorded remotely, me in Dublin, Spencer in Manchester. We chatted about why Spencer is driven through his work to shine a spotlight on the more positive aspects of the gay community, the events from his childhood which made him think he might be gay, how he avoided a planned homophobic attack on him at school, the hurtful comments his friends used to make about his sexuality, how he coped with those dreaded PE lessons, his love of the queer community and lots of other things also. You can contact me by emailing me at johnny at imcomingoutpod.com or tweet me at imcomingoutpod. If you have any feedback on this episode or if there is anything you would like to add to my chat with Spencer, please do get in touch. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating, review and subscribe as it really helps me and other people to discover the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thanks for listening and here it is. Hello Spencer and welcome to my podcast. How are you on this Tuesday morning? I'm fabulous. I'm super tired. It's pouring it down with rain outside but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be speaking to you. So what phase are you guys in the lifting of lockdown restrictions over there? I think all of your pubs are opening on Saturday, aren't they? Yeah, I believe so. I live right in the in the centre of Manchester and I think most people weren't aware the lockdown ever happened. They seem to be just out and about living their best lives, which really infuriates me based on, you know, what you read online and what you see and the, the severity mm. of the situation. So I'm quite disappointed to see so many people out and about. So the gyms haven't opened with you guys in Britain yet. They reopened here on Monday. No. So I haven't went back yet because I'm still a little bit wary. Yeah. The the gym is the last place I want to, <laughs> I would attend anyway. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's not something that's been on my radar, thank God. But I know I know a lot of people uh, are desperate to kind of for their mental health and for, you know, for their yeah. health in general, are desperate to get back to the gym. Yeah, because I'm one of those smug people. I usually do go to the gym in the morning because it's the only thing that wakes me up. It's 11 a.m. and I'm still, I'm like yourself. I'm just still really groggy. I don't wake up at all until I've moved about a bit. Sure. I'm only warming up now to speaking with humans. I haven't spoke to anybody yet today. Well, I haven't, I've only spoke to the cat. So yeah. it's, I'm not <laughs> in my conversational mode yet. But um, 
let's talk more about you. Enough about me and the gym. I'm so <laughs> self-obsessed. You mean me. So tell me a bit more about your blog, For the Love of Queers, and what inspired you to start it. So I started researching you, I think, over the weekend. And it's just such an incredible resource, your blog. And it's really educational and informative. And I wish something like that had existed when... I was younger. So tell me a little bit more about how it came about. I think you got it in one. I created it for exactly that reason. Nothing existed like this when I was younger or nothing that was available to me. And I really struggled with that because to to rewind a bit to kind of my coming out, I didn't know anyone else who was gay. I grew up in North Wales uh, in a town called Rill and there were other gay people, but I wasn't aware of them. And so... I hung around with a group of girls who, you know, had boyfriends, did the generic thing that Mm. happens in high school. And I couldn't relate to them. And I couldn't relate to being myself. And I didn't relate to any of the guys in the school. And it was just a big mess in my head. And when when I went home, I couldn't express myself because I didn't understand who I was or what I was or why why Mm. I felt the way I did. I, I didn't, because I had no example of what gay was, I didn't I didn't know that I was gay, if that makes sense. No, that you've just articulated my own adolescent experience. That's pretty much exactly the same as it was for me. And just to digress for a moment, I wanted to ask you a little bit about North Wales because I've gone a little bit neurotic about planes. So whenever I'm traveling to London recently, I've got the boat to Hollyhead and I've traveled through north wales and it seems incredibly beautiful the countryside is incredible there yeah it definitely is there's there's some really nice areas (laughs) north where everyone paints it as this beautiful landscape um where i'm from is a little town by the beach but um it doesn't it's it's not cute it's not cute at all it's quite a rough area there's a lot of um you know homelessness and people Mm. not working and yeah, I I think because there's a lack of opportunity, people aren't very driven. So it's not a very lively place to be. I don't think many people are, are proud to be there or want to be there. There's a lot of seaside towns, isn't there, in England. And once package holidays became more readily available and air travel became cheaper and those towns really, they really deteriorated, didn't they? Yeah, definitely. I've actually been to Rill really briefly. The last time I was coming, going to London, the train tracks were flooded. So we had to get out at Rill and I had to get a connecting, a connecting bus to Chester. So I've sort of been to Rill very briefly. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the train, the train station slash bus station is where is where all the, uh, the interesting people hang out. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure that was a great experience for you. Yeah, well, I would have w- walked around, but I had no time. I just had to get off the train and get on a bus. So I can't I can't say much about my time in real. I'm glad I'm glad you didn't walk around. <laughs> it's not it, you wouldn't have you would have regretted it. And uh, right. you you may never go back. You should never go back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That doesn't sound too encouraging. I probably won't be having a walk around real anytime soon. So your podcast queer talk so i've started listening to that yesterday i really loved your intro music as well i mean that sounds very years and years i think i need to change my intro music it sounds a bit like the music for a a medical drama or something but i really enjoyed your podcast you've got great (laughs) chemistry between the three of you have you guys known each other a long time not particularly 
basically it's it's kind of a, a sibling project to for the love of queers and i knew of Mufsine and i just kind of started speaking to him and was like let's hang out let's go for a drink let's you know work on some stuff together um so i met him back in i think october november last year it was you know it wasn't that long ago um and we just hit it off straight away we just kind of connected we you know he works for pride um and does a lot of activism himself and the stuff i'm interested in we just clicked and it was amazing and he was talking to me about wanting to start a podcast and i was like well you know enough talking like let's make it happen um i didn't i didn't have a clue how that would go how it would work what we would do but i knew that i had a load of queer people uh kind of behind me and I knew that what I wanted to do was to raise their voices on For the Love of Queers and a podcast was the perfect way to do that. So we we did some planning. Then I stumbled across James's podcast um, that he had at the time and I was like, wow, like this guy, this guy knows what he's doing. Like this is a this is exactly who we need um, in order to make this work. So he was the the techie one that made that made everything run so smoothly he was incredible and it's great that you're focusing on positive stories about the lgbtq plus community because for so long for pretty much all of our history the community has been synonymous with negativity and with tragedy and with shame so it's great that you're you know shining a spotlight on the the good things that are happening within our in our worlds yeah completely i think one of one of the things I think we get clickbait for, you know, another homophobic attack or, you know, this happened or that happened and someone was, a, you know, someone's life was ruined or someone was became homeless or, su- you know, suicide, all these things. Um, and it's all clickbait and we share it constantly to try and, you know, vocalise how, how damaged our community is by the outside world. And for me, we, we don't often enough celebrate all the good things that happen like there are so many incredible people doing incredible things there's incredible organizations artists everything and I was like right enough of the bad stuff like people already know the bad stuff is happening but why can't we talk about the good stuff and it's not to it's not to gloss over that the bad stuff is happening it's you know I want people to just feel good when they listen yeah, to no, us. I really like the concept behind your podcast. It's a really good point that you made because I think there's and there's so many gay media platforms and well, media out- platforms and outlets in general, and they keep sharing really dangerous rhetoric that's being spouted by crazy people. You know, and I don't think I don't understand why they need to keep sharing it other than as you say, for clickbait, because, yeah. you know, oh, gay people are to blame for the bad weather or the storms or gay people are to blame for the pandemic, <laughs> you know, and it's just so stupid. It's so absurd. Why are you even giving these people a platform in the first place? Completely. It's it's my biggest, it's my biggest quarrel. You know, gay media outlets often don't give the voices to the community who have things to say and things to write about. And yet, you know, jk rowling can can make front front covers and headlines and she doesn't deserve you know the time of day never mind any of this airtime and it and it really frustrates me so so again you know for the love of queers whilst it's it's growing and it's still in its early stages i want i want it to be a space where people who have something to say get to say that so tell me 
bit more about you, Spencer, and what it was like growing up in Rill. So what was your awareness of homosexuality when you were growing up as a kid and then later as a teenager? I would say, honestly, that I really wasn't aware of homosexuality. When when I look back at me being a kid, one of one of the prominent things that stands out, every every weekend I would go and visit my dad and I had two stepsisters that lived there and we would all put on a show every Sunday morning that I very much take credit for, organised, <laughs> you know, ran, fully produced, everything. It was, it was ridiculous. Creative directed. And absolutely, absolutely. And I would always be the, the lead female role, so I would always be the princess or whatever because they just weren't good enough. They didn't have the <laughs> talent that I had. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what's what's really good is that they're never going to listen to this, so it's totally fine. We have a great relationship, but they they you know it's fine. So I can I can slag them off till the cows come okay. home. <laughs> yeah. So I would do these shows, and they would do my makeup. I would put my dress on, and I would lead the whole show from start to finish. And to be honest, they were a little bit like my backing dancers. They weren't really sure why I wanted to do all these shows. It was like six a.m. on a Sunday. And I was like full of energy, ready to like express myself. So this is this is one of the the given kind of factors. When when I after I came out to my family, they were like, "Yeah, we know." Like, do you not remember all these performances you gave us? Like, it was a little bit of a signifier. So that was really um, it. Just makes me laugh. I can't I can't be mad about the fact that I gave it away. But at the time, I was surrounded by female, you know, friends, family, role models, and I just related to mm. them. And I wanted to be like them because they were the people I respected. I didn't respect guys so much because, first of all, the way they, you know, obviously it was high school, so it was all a bit ridiculous. But relationships, um, all my all my girl friends would date guys in school and then they break up because so-and-so cheated on someone or they kissed someone else or they just broke up because they didn't like them anymore. You know, all these five-minute relationships in school. Yeah. And I, I would storm around school calling all these guys out, being like, you treat my you treat women like this, you know, at the at the age of like twelve. <laughs> which is just insane. I, I'm I'm amazed, you know, I never got a black eye or or, you know, put in my place. So you've covered quite a few years there, Spencer. So let's go back to the... No, no, it's fine. Don't worry. Uh, let's go back to the performances as a child with so with your two sisters. Yeah. You put on these performances for your whole family. So what was your dad's reaction to them at the time? I think they kind of just let it be. They were both exhausted. Like I said, I used to wake up at mm. like 6am when I was a kid all the time. And, you know, most people don't like getting up at 6am. <laughs> Yeah, I think they just they just kind of sat there and put up with it. They had no issue with the fact that I was in makeup or in a dress. They had no issue with anything besides the fact that they'd been woken up. But I would be a proper a proper host. You know, they'd have their breakfast made. It would be some, you know, off coffee that didn't have milk or sugar oh, in it by sweet. accident and like a burnt piece of toast. <laughs> but I was like, hold on a sec, guys. Come on, you've got breakfast. You're getting the five star treatment here. You know, I'm all dressed up. Like, let's let's just do this. I'd look, I actually need to have this conversation with them, but I don't know whether they enjoyed it or not. But it happened every single week, like clockwork. So they didn't put a stop to it. So I guess that's good. And what was your relationship like with your dad growing up? It was really interesting. So him and my mum broke up when I was three years old. Mm. So I never remember him living at home with us. And him and my mum now, as the, as the love guru I, I claim myself to be, <laughs> I would never put them together 
I can't imagine them being in a relationship. It doesn't make any sense to me. I've told them both this. It it just, you know, of co- I'm like, of course you broke up. Like, thank God you broke up. Imagine what a catastrophe this could have been, which is hilarious in itself. But yeah, so my dad left when I was free. I would see him every weekend. He was always kind of there, always at the end of the phone, whatever. But he's he's not one to show emotion. Mm. So all the things that I would go to my, you know, male role model, father figure about, he he just completely, it went over his head almost. So I've had a long, you know, kind of battle with him about emotions because he he just doesn't seem to get it. And it's not that he doesn't care and it's not that he doesn't support me. He just doesn't know how to address that himself. It's quite different for men of that older generation, isn't it? They were just raised in a very different world where expressing your emotions sure. was just, it was not an option. It just did not happen. And that, as always, like with all of us, that programming is just so deeply embedded from their development years. And then there's probably other reasons, which I mean, I would probably need some scientist or biologist to explain to me I mean it's probably just wiring isn't it yeah women tend to be just that little bit more in touch with their feelings and their emotions and a little bit more open whereas obviously there's a whole spectrum of gender and we all have both masculine and feminine aspects within our personalities but it does tend to be more towards the feminine end of things so yeah I I definitely understand what you're saying and When you were talking about your time in secondary school and you mentioned there that you stood up to quite a few of the lads. So you seemed like quite a brave and gutsy character. So can you tell me a little bit more about your time in secondary school? This this is a really interesting one. So the whole dynamic was that I was I was actually quite quiet and anxious and I was a very independent child. Mm. My mum suffers with depression and anxiety and has done for my whole life at least Mm. so I very much you know took over just I'm I'm a massive control freak which goes without saying I don't know if that's come across so far but it's definitely the case no not at all I'm quite controlling because I, I like things to work to the you know in the best possible way so I very much kind of I wouldn't say I cared for my mum but I I looked out for her and I I kind of managed her emotions and what was going on with her from quite an early age Mm. so in terms of high school that was my place to like I didn't have to look after anyone anymore like I I could just be and in order to kind of mask what was going on at home I think I was kind of the class clown and generally I've always my my whole thing through life is like I want to be liked by people I don't want to go out of my way to make anyone's life difficult and I I really want to be liked I want that validation because my mum loves me because she has to but she has her own stuff going on and my dad doesn't my dad loves me but doesn't yeah. know how to show it so I was seeking that in in socials you know in social groups in school mm. so I would I would try and build these relationships with people it wasn't until later on in school my group of girlfriends would constantly constantly be like oh Spencer you're my gay best friend oh Spencer <laughs> can you be my gay best friend like I hadn't come out at this point and the word gay was incredibly triggering because I'm like oh my god they know like what what and I would get so angry at them I'd be like well I can't be your gay best friend because I'm not gay Mm. so how does that work and they're like oh it doesn't matter if you're gay or not just be my gay best friend and it was very obvious that everyone kind of knew and 
since you know my my coming out which I'll get to but like post my coming out them realizing their behaviors at the time were incredibly like wrong none of them were trying to bully me none of them were trying to to do me wrong and high school is high school it's you know it's a vicious battlefield anyway while people are trying to learn and express themselves and figure out (laughs) who they are I just was constantly faced with you know be my gay best friend be my gay best friend and it's not an insult but it felt like an insult because being gay in my head was wrong I needed to keep it quiet and hidden so for all these people to be saying you know be my gay best friend so loudly I was just I was terrified and I remember running home from school one day and just like holding my mum and being like mum no matter what anyone tells you like I'm not gay okay and I was in floods of tears and she's like um like okay what what's going on and I, I don't think anything had happened I just was so desperate to keep it quiet because I didn't understand it mm. and I didn't want other people to have more of a control over who I was no I totally I understand that and those girls they weren't calling you their gay best friend that was from just a place of ignorance and not knowing any better didn't necessarily have bad intentions or want to hurt you they just didn't understand it and they were unknowingly outing you before you were ready to come out and I totally get how anxiety inducing that might be to to think I'm going to be outed to everybody and everyone's going to know this before I've even processed this myself yeah and and being the first one you know there, there were probably other queer people in my school. I know since school, a lot of people mm. have come out. It's just very interesting watching these things unravel. To be the first one and to not represent it either because I didn't understand it, it, it just felt like a lot of pressure as well. Like I, I considered coming out at multiple points in school, but to not be the, you know, the poster gay to kind of, you know, set an example, it was... it it felt like a lot of pressure to to be the gay person in school not not just to to come out and you know for people to accept me or not but like to to represent that because I just I fully didn't understand it I remember watching um, Glee at the time I love the excitement I love the excitement just to point out to anyone listening I don't watch the fourth fifth or sixth series because they were truly awful um, they're like they're really really bad and I don't like to disrespect <laughs> anybody's hard work but yeah the cheese is unreal but the first season was what I think was really funny and really strong and really groundbreaking sorry Spencer back to you and your story I've said my bit on Glee <laughs> back to me in the yes. studio <laughs> No, I think I think I was watching I was watching things like Glee and Ugly <gasps> Betty and seeing these gay characters. <laughs> I love your gasp. Such You're a so gay excited gasp, about all these shows. <laughs> Honestly. Um, yeah, I was watching these shows with strong kind of gay characters and you know, they were very much stereotypes, archetypes, very strong, you know, in your face characters. And so that was kind of my first understanding of what I was supposed to be like. And to be like Kurt or to be like Mark from Ugly Betty, like that was a lot of work for me to get there, right? Like (laughs) in order to, you know, make a duplicate of these people, I I was going to have to, I don't know, I had to change my my wardrobe. I had Mm. to change my look. I had to change my voice, my walk, my interests. Um, All of a sudden I had to care about fashion when I had no interest in fashion in the world. And yeah, I was just so overwhelmed by this this journey I had to go on before I could be gay. 
that um, I was just I was just even more confused. So how do you feel about that representation now? Do you think it's relative like it had some positive and really negative aspects? Do you think there should have been more diverse representation out there in the media? Completely. I think now I look at the amount of queer representation back then, I'm really grateful that it, it existed because if it hadn't, I may not have known what gay was until much later. But like I said, it, it felt like a lot of pressure to be this character for me, you know, for me to mirror that. So I actually wish that there were just more subtle gay queer characters across the board that, you know, don't have drama going on and don't, you know, walk around making noise and being fashionable and whatever, like they just exist. And I, I think we are moving towards that, but I think we still have yeah, a Yeah, I can to definitely go. relate to that because, I mean, there's definitely that aspect to my personality and definitely when I was younger, but I'm a, <laughs> I'm a little bit older than you. But I felt the same way in my adolescence because the only gay people I knew of was Graham Norton, or and don't get me wrong I love Graham Norton he is brilliant he's an absolute legend but I kind of thought I had to that's what I had to behave like Elton John or like Graham Norton I just thought (laughs) that was that was it you're gay you have to be like I didn't realize that there were lots of different types of gay people and that's why visibility in is so so important but what kind of school did you go to? Was there a lot of homophobia there? Was gay used quite a bit as a derogatory term, as a pejorative adjective whilst you were at school? I don't think it was. I didn't hear it that often besides in my own circle. I think we were, um, my group of friends were a little bit like Mean Girls and we we were, <laughs> it's, it sounds really... Um, weird to say but like we were quite popular you know we were we were in a good place we weren't below anyone on the you know on the social ladder right. which now I look back at I'm like this is a hideous a hideous way to look at look at high school but it is what it is it is what it was we generally were fine people didn't really come for us and and in terms of bullying that went on in the school if I saw it happen I would I would very much try and support people or just kind of engage with everyone like I said I wanted to be liked so I would talk to every group I wouldn't I wouldn't be um, strictly allowed to to hang out with my group of friends I would I would try and you know catch up with everyone I I deliberately chose different subjects from my group of friends because I realized we were becoming a bit clicky and that was a bit toxic and obviously with the whole gay best friend thing sometimes I was like okay these people might not be the right people that I want in my life so I would I would very much try and chill with everyone and understand everyone. And I think that's very much continued on to For the Love of Queers because for me, I wanna I wanna know and understand everybody's story because I know that my story is quite complex. And I want first of all, it makes me feel normal when I hear of mm. other people's struggles and <laughs> and you know, backstories. In terms of homophobia, I d I don't think it was it wasn't a huge thing because no one was really out. But I remember towards the end, I was in year 10 and the year 11s at the time, which is the last year of high school here, were, there was a group of lads and on their last day, they had, a rumour had gone round that they were going to carry me to the bathroom, tie me to the toilet and tickle me until I admitted I was gay oh, God, or until I would wet myself. And completely came out of nowhere, right? Like I'd never been, I'd never spoken to these people before. I'd never been subjected to to homophobia 
And I was really confused, but also terrified that this just came out of the blue. And I knew that it could happen at any moment. So I basically stayed home um, until they left school for a week or so. Because purely I, I want again I wanted to be in control I didn't want to be embarrassed like that I had not. I had nothing to hide because I wasn't out so you know I, I was I could have sat there all day on the toilet and said that I wasn't gay but the idea of, of that happening and the idea that the fact that these people had never spoken to me and you know had the idea to to put this plan together and to make that happen and was no, just that's hideous. an awful thing to have experienced and what did you say to your mother how did you get to stay at home for the week Again, because she was quite anxious, I generally just just did what I wanted. I was I was very good at school. I had high grades. I was very into my studies. I, I focused on everything, and I always wanted to do the best because my my goal was to to get as far away from real as possible. So she she never had these concerns that you know I was I was hiding away from something or I was you know rebelling or being misbehaving or I was a bad child. So if I said I needed to stay home she would you know I would stay home which you know maybe maybe I played on that to my advantage but I'm really grateful that that was the case because if she had made me go to school I could have been tied to a toilet seat and and been attacked and you know that would that supposedly would have that been that would have worse. been a deeply deeply traumatic experience for anybody to to go through so sure. thankfully it didn't happen but it's also it's awful that you had to stay at home from school for a whole week to avoid it happening teenagers can be merciless can't they it's almost <laughs> like they would do right, they anything to fit in at that age fitting in and being accepted and being part of the group Completely. is just paramount and they're almost willing to just it's almost like they have zero empathy during those years in order to belong it's really yeah. really sad actually and just there where you mentioned i thought that was really interesting where you said that in your school they didn't really use gay as a pejorative adjective because I asked this to to pretty much everybody because when I was in secondary school it was used every five minutes it was just people were obsessed with all things gay and homosexuality maybe it's a thing in Ireland maybe it's more of a a slagging term in Ireland I don't know what it is yeah it definitely is a thing here I maybe put a block on the word because um, I have a 10 year old cousin and he is in uh, primary school at the moment. And he, I picked him up from the playground and he was calling his friend gay. And I, and I pulled him up, you know, I was being trying to be as, uh, <laughs> as calm and parental as possible. Mm. But I was like, do you, do you know what that word means? And he looked at me and was like, yeah, it's, it's when a boy kisses a boy. I was like, so why are you saying it? Does your friend kiss other boys? And he was like, I, 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 no. And I was like, okay, do you think it's funny? And he, and he, he, you know, maybe that was the wrong way to approach a 10 year old, but you know, we, we were family, so it was fine. And, you know, I had his best interests at heart and he knows that I'm gay. And he basically goes around the house singing about, you know, Spencer's gay, Spencer's gay, but like, he kind of understands it a bit better. And part of him, he, he says as well, you know, like, oh, if you don't have a boyfriend right now, that means you're not gay anymore. Right. So he's he's trying to learn, but it is still used as as a as an insult in the playground, and this is in primary school, right? So this whole this whole discussion that's been going on about bringing uh, LGBT into the education system, it definitely needs to happen because kids are well aware of well, I say they're well aware, they're aware of the word, they might not be aware of its meaning, 
Yeah, no, it's great that your cousin had that opportunity to learn from you and to to be educated as to why it's so important not to use the word in in that way. And as you say, the LGBTQ yeah. plus education is so, so important. I mean, there's a disproportionate number of yeah. our community with mental health issues and with addiction issues and suicide rates are higher. And that's why it, our brains are just so plastic when we're children and when we're adolescents. And it's it's almost like the shame is just neurologically wired into our brains. It's like, how could it not be? So when did you yeah. when did you Spencer gain clarity that you were gay? And then how did you go about the coming out process? Um, so it was it was definitely uh, my friend in college that I mentioned earlier. He kept asking me in private, you know, are you gay? I think you might be gay. Are you sure you're not gay? Um, and I denied it for as long as possible. And and then eventually I just said, like, I sent him a message saying, like, I think I'm gay. And it all just makes me laugh now. But, like, sending that message was, you know, gut-wrenching, but absolutely terrifying. And he kind of, we spoke it through. And, and as soon as I told him, I had this adrenaline to just tell everyone so I invited all. My, I went back home for the weekend from college to where to Rill and had all my girlfriends over from school, and I was planning to tell them this whole time, and they all just were talking and talking, and like I was so in my head about needing to say this, you know, needing to say the words, and they just all seemed to be so engulfed in their conversations. I just stayed silent the whole time. I remember they were there for like two hours, and I just didn't say a word. And I just felt like I was what like it was kind of like an out of body experience. I was watching this other situation play out that I wasn't involved in. It was really strange. And they all went home separately. They got picked up by their parents separately. And I sent a message to the group chat saying like, guys, like I really wanted to to say this in person, but I, you know I couldn't. But I'm gay. And you know I mentioned before they've been asking me to be their gay best friend for years. They've been saying it for years. And I thought they would have you know reacted differently but they were like oh my god like who's still there who's hacked your computer like who's on your facebook like is this true like who is this and i was just i just died because they'd been trying to get me to say it for so long and now i finally said it and they thought i was lying or joking and i was like no 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 like please believe me they all called me and was like i want like say it to me say it to me like in person so I actually know like is it true and I was just freaking out I was running around my house like screaming and crying and because I was like gosh this this took me years and now I now I have to justify it like I have to prove that I'm gay to but your friend's response when you went back to real for the weekend that was just again probably from a place of just a lack of understanding wasn't it yeah but again like nothing like this had happened to them before and I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't explain it. But um, since, since coming out, when I, I wrote my coming out story as one of the first posts on For the Love of Queers and saying, saying my story from my perspective, they all messaged me and apologised because they had no idea that they had made me feel that way or that they had reacted in that way. See, this all keeps coming back to education lgbtq plus education those girls didn't have any bad intentions it wasn't from a malicious place they just didn't they just didn't know any better yeah it's it's all very interesting you know in in high school 
everything was separated into boys and girls. PE obviously was boys and girls. And I used to sneak into the girls' class and, you know, beg the teacher to let me play badminton or do Zumba because rugby <laughs> rugby with all these boys I'd been shouting at for breaking up with, with my friends wasn't wasn't the best place for me. And I was gonna ask you, did the PE teacher let you partake in the in the girls' lessons? Sometimes, yeah. I ended up building up this thick skin. I had a very I had a very hard time in PE as as I think a lot of a lot of gay people yeah. do. So I we we had um there was like top set and bottom set. So like the skilled, you know, muscly guys and then me <laughs> and and the people that weren't so good at sport. And I was in my element with the people that weren't so good at sport because we were all doing it at our own level, at our own pace, and it was fine. And then towards year 10 and 11, they put us all together. And I was like, well, I have nothing to prove to these people. Like, you, can't, you can't put a group of very skilled people and a group of not so skilled people together and be like, right, go, because you're just going to make our non-skills you know worse you're going to make us you know you're going to embarrass us and humiliate us you know it was one of those where I was always picked last to be on the team and I just wasn't here for it and thought people would insult me for not being good at sport not because I was you know gay they just were like oh you know Spencer you don't you don't do this you don't do that and I, I went to the teacher and I said listen I don't come to school to first of all to play rugby second of all to be insulted for not being able to play rugby I'm not going to show up for this. So I went to the girls class for a while and did badminton. And then um, I had a very good relationship with my art teacher. And I said, like, listen, I, I need your help. I need you to get me out of PE. Like, you know, if you need me to do a display or say I've got extra work to do or any possible reason we can come up with, I don't want to be in PE anymore. I said, I'm just being insulted. And then eventually I started hanging out in the art department and I just I just worked on, you know, I was just being creative. And No, I can totally relate to what you've just said. I just used to dread PE and I used to feel so exposed at any sort of sporting thing at all. I went to a school where they played rugby as well and I just could not play it. And I'd know desire to be good at it I'd zero interest in it and just that whole world is so it's so foreign to me and then people used to put it down to me being lazy and that used to really upset me because that's you know one thing that I'm not and I love exercise now I really love exercising and running and all the rest of it but even to this day I kind of do have an irrational (laughs) hatred of sports I respond really badly to sports yeah. like and I don't use the h word very often or very or lightly but I just can't stand them because I grew up in that world yeah. where you know we've like Irish football called GAA and it's just all consuming everyone's a fan of it and everyone's involved in it and everyone goes to the matches and you really are an anomaly like they just do not understand that somebody might not like football they just can't get their head around it but back to you Spencer yeah. enough about me uh, did your art teacher let you I'm talking an awful lot about myself today. Did your art teacher let you go to art classes during the PE sessions? She she was incredible. We've actually remained friends oh, after school, nice. uh, after high school. I, I I catch up with her a lot because she really helped me out. So, how did you go about coming out to your parents? So I came out to my mum first. I remember I waited until she was a little bit tipsy on a Saturday night 
and I, I I sent her a text saying like, can you come up to my room, please? Because I, I couldn't I, I couldn't move. And she came upstairs and she was a bit tipsy and she was just looking at me, a little bit bloodshot eyes, like, you know, <laughs> what's up? And I and I just said, like, Mum, I need to tell you something. And she was like, Go on. And I was like, uh, I'm I'm gay. And she burst into tears. And I was like, oh shit, you know, oh God. And she said, like, you know, some people, some people would want grandchildren, but like, it's okay because, you know, I, I don't, I don't want grandchildren. I was like, mum, 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 calm down. I still want kids one day. God, I'm 16 or 17. It's okay. And she's like, oh, that's fine then. That's fine. If you're going to, if you're going to, if I'm going to have grandchildren, like that's fine. And then my dad, like I said, he's always been super cool with me, but in terms of showing emotion, he's, it's, you know, been more difficult. So I sent him a text. I was at my friend's house at, in Wrexham at college. And I sent him this long ass text saying, you know, this is me. And I'm really, you know, I know how difficult this is going to be for you because, you know, you have to tell people at work and you have to tell friends, family, whoever, that you have a gay son. Like I was kind of looking out for him rather than being, you know, looking out for myself in the time. And I'm like, I know that that carry, you know, that that holds a lot of weight, and I know that's going to be difficult for you. And I'm really sorry if I bring you any shame in that sense. And at the end of this long text, I was like, whatever you do, don't call me. And as soon as I hit send, my phone rings, and I just answered, and I was like, Are you joking? Like I just told you not to call me. I just told you the biggest thing ever are you joking? And he was like, I just want you to know that it's all fine. And that I love you. And it's fine. And I and I just I just cried. And I was like, Okay, thanks. Bye. Like, I'll speak to you in a few days when I've got over all of this. Um, and it, overall, it was it was perfect. You know, I, I couldn't have asked for two better situations. Well, I'm really glad to hear you had a positive coming out experience to your parents. But what you said there, it you mentioned about how emotional the experience it is because you've been building up to something like this for years and years and years and it's it's years of pent-up emotion and feeling and stress and angst all being released in that one moment isn't it and it's quite anxiety ridden it's the coming out itself because you don't know what the outcome is going to be you don't know people's responses and yeah it's like your adrenaline is really pumping when it's happening isn't it yeah, completely. And you always expect the worst. You expect them to react, you know, really badly or just to be like, oh my God, you know? So a lot of a lot of people I came out to in my family were like, yeah, we know. And for me, I was incredibly disappointed by that because when you build up to such an experience and such a situation, I kind of wanted a reaction. And that wasn't why I was coming out, but I wanted them, you know, coming out isn't about, letting people know because a lot of people do know and it doesn't really matter whether they know or not but I think for me coming out is about finally having the courage to say those words out loud to yourself and that for me when people were like yeah we know we've known for years my grandma was like I knew when you were three months old my grandma's you know three months fabulous (laughs) she, she just you know she just she wanted to compete with everyone else I knew first I knew as soon as I saw you and I was like no you didn't yeah, I've heard that from people before. I think Justin Meyer said that as well. I think people don't intend or they don't understand that saying, oh, I always knew or I knew already. 
to a gay person, obviously, it's such an important moment. And it's not the best response to something that is is so huge and so big for you. Just it, that comment can come off a little bit dismissive. I mean, even even just like a scream, a scream, like, you know, I, I wanted some drama, like happy drama, <laughs> but drama. I wanted people to be like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like, yes, like all this, you know, there was just it was just like, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. And like ever since my dad, uh, everything I do, his way of like um, affirming or, you know, coping, or, I don't know what the right word is, his his way of respecting my my homosexuality is to be like, oh, God, you're so gay. You know, everything I do, I'm like, oh, uh, I, I, can I show you the clothes I bought? He's like, oh, you're so gay. Oh, can I, I'm going to make a, a sandwich. Oh, my God, you're so gay. <laughs> and that's him trying to, you know, relate to me. And it, it just cracks me up. And I'm like, Dad, just because I'm gay, I mean, I kind of going against my own beliefs here. Just because I'm gay, that doesn't mean I make but a that, sandwich. But I think Ricky Gervais way. does that in one of his stand-up shows. It just comes from a place of just not understanding and not knowing many gay people, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm very glad. That's I'm very it. happy that you had positive coming out experiences for the for the most part. But on a lighter note, I wanted to ask you one of my favorite questions. I ask this to everybody because I'm determined to make up for all of the time that I couldn't speak about fancying boys. So, who were your crushes when you were growing up, or or now even? Oh, I think now I just fancy everyone. <laughs> Do you have a type? I thought I had a type, but I just seem to, if, if someone can, can just make me laugh, I'm just obsessed. I just, I think I'm just obsessed with our community. Um, obsessed might be the, the crazy word that maybe I shouldn't have painted myself as, you know, an obsessive person, but I just, I just love how different everyone is. I love when I see someone dress really well. I love when I see someone do spoken word. I love when I see someone sing or perform. Um, I love people who do makeup. Um, I just I just love queer people being queer and honestly I, w- I would just date everyone in our community a lot of the time when I when I see something that just like makes me smile or makes me really happy I'm like do you know what if if we could all be on an island and just you know and just live our best lives and just all you know just love one another it would be so much fun because I, I hate that even now we still have to switch it on and off you know, if I go to work, my bosses are very accepting and I'm very queer at work and they, <laughs> they, they tolerate me being, you know, being over the top in every way possible. But I hate that, you know, we go into a meeting and I have to kind of tone it down or, you know, I walk through town and I might have to tone it down if it's late at night or, you know, mm. whatever. And I just love people that, that never tone it down. Like that to me is just very attractive. It's really gutsy, isn't it? It's like that that saying, yeah. the gayest are the bravest. It's the gayest people who are yeah. really serving on the front line every day. Yeah. Um, and I aspire I aspire to be to be that person. I, I very much am out and proud. I never I never really gave anyone a chance not to accept me. I think looking back at my coming out, if anyone had said like, Oh, are you like are you sure you want to say this? You know, are you sure you want to be gay? I, I would have just been like, okay, bye-bye, like, you know, <laughs> you're cancelled, because I'm not here for it. It's it's completely out of my control. And and so if people aren't cool with it, then then I'm not cool with that. And have you met a lot of people like that over the years? That don't accept it? Yeah. Or you're speaking hypothetically? I'm speaking hypothetically because... I just want them to embrace embrace our sexualities. I want them to embrace how 
how amazing our lives and our culture is, you know? Yeah. They literally, I, I don't care who anyone is sleeping with. Being queer is more than who you're sleeping with. So Absolutely, I just, yeah. I want them to embrace and like learn, you, you know, you're going to, you're going to show up to our clubs. You're going to show up to our parties. Um, you know, you're going to stick a rainbow up once a year because, because it's trending. Then, then in, embrace me for who I am. Listen to what I've got to say. I think you're so inspiring to listen to, Spencer. You really are. You need to pay a trip to Ireland and come meet my family and friends and educate them. Absolutely. I just, I just want to meet your cat. Oh, Gizmo is the best. No, he's Gizmo's lovely. But uh, no, you're <laughs> right. I, I, you've got such a positive attitude and the work you are doing is incredible. I'm learning so much from following your blog and I've only been following it for a few days. And I think it comes from such an altruistic place with you, doesn't it? You genuinely do want to yeah. spread a positive message and you really do want to help people. And that is really, really incredible. Spencer, it has been brilliant chatting Thank to you, you today. Thank you so much for your time. No problem at all. It's been amazing. Uh, this this was my first podcast that uh, I haven't hosted, so it's it's really nice to be in the in, in the opposite. What side was of it the like? Mind. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer to, prefer to be the interviewer or the interviewee? I love being the interviewee. I love talking about myself. I'm not used to talking about myself. Sorry, I'm kind of been in lockdown out in the countryside <laughs> for a very long time, so I haven't really seen anybody. So. But Spencer, thank you so much for your time and best luck with all of your writing and with your blogging and with your podcast. Spencer, thank you. So much. Thank you.